Hey everyone, this is Joe. This is a Feedback Friday episode. Today I'm trying something a little different. Normally I play the message and if it's a fellow podcaster, I say what their podcast is. Today, I'm just going to mention it up front. We have three fellow podcasters that called in. They are Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz of the Dungeon Master's Handbook, and Daniel from The Bandit's Keep. All three of these are excellent podcasts. I'm not just saying that because you're calling into my show. I, I really believe that. I'm subscribed to all three of these, and I think they're great podcasts. I think you should give a listen, and that's all I have to say. Let's get started. Mail call from the United States of America. Hi, you have reached the Decahedron RPG cast feedback line. Just start talking at the sound of the tone. Hey, Joe, this is Michael. Also known as Chicago is from Dungeon Master's Handbook. I just listened to your episode on house rules for traveler character generation, and uh, I see that you did this, I think it was uh, early June, or at least it's when the, the date of the podcast came out. It's interesting how there's something in the air this spring and summer. Uh, a lot of my friends are going back to traveler, and I happen to stumble into a traveler uh, campaign now so uh, yeah it, it's kind of interesting to see this uh, almost unconscious movement towards uh, this very awesome game um, I don't specifically have comments on your house rules because they're your house rules they're uh, you know that they're how you see the campaign and you see the traveler setting and the traveler world and the kind of game you want to run um, I I love Chargen, even with all of its warts and flaws from the uh, Three Little Black Books, because it does something that I think a lot of other older games don't do, and I think it does it a little bit uh, more simply than the newer games, and that is to allow you to build a backstory at the same time you're creating a character, and the two are interwoven. Um, I, yeah, this is a little comment. I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but I just find that so fascinating. I also find it fascinating that if you're going to create your own setting, you know, not use the Traveler uh, implied Third Imperium setting, Chargen is something where you can really introduce that setting to your uh, players and they're going to get a feel for it right away in what kind of services you use, you know, what kind of skills you have, uh, what kind of tweaks or differences you do on Chargen. Uh, I'm running a Battlestar Galactica uh, setting in, and I'm using uh, the original uh, 1977 Three Little Books with no supplements or anything. And I've, it's worked really well. I'm going to have a podcast episode coming out where I talk about my uh, charge gen and, and the various things. But I think it's fascinating how this little mini game uh, just continues to live on, not only in kind of like mythology, but actually really work and has great lessons to teach gamers and designers and players now. Anyway, that's it. Very cool. I'm looking forward to listening to your upcoming Traveler episodes, which I have queued up. So game on. Hey, Michael. Thanks for that call. 
Yes, Traveler does seem to be in the air. I heard it on your podcast. I heard it on somebody else's as well. So I, I don't know what's happening. In my case, it was because, let's go back a little bit. My oldest daughter is Heather, and I had her on the show when she first started gaming. She came to gaming, you know, later in life. And Jason wrote in and said, it would be interesting for you to have her back on the show in like six months. And we can see where they've gone, you know, with gaming. And so she was on in that time. Her husband, Keith, joined us and we sat down at the table because they were actually up here visiting me. We went to the Strong Museum of Play. We saw the D&D exhibit. Kind of cool. Actually, D&D is like in a couple places there because it's also in the Toy and Game Hall of Fame. But anyway. And one of the questions I asked during that interview was, have you tried anything other than Dungeons and Dragons? And they tried to say yes, because they said, yeah, we played Pathfinder. And what was that thing that, that you ran for us, which was White Box? <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah, I mean, they don't say Dungeons and Dragons on the label, but those are both still Dungeons and Dragons. So I offered to run something for them. I wanted something classic, but something very different from just dungeon fantasy. And so I went to my true love of a classic space opera type game, which is Traveler. And so that is why it's in my mind right now, because I'm doing all this work to prepare an adventure for them. And, you know, we made their character in an episode that you might not have listened to yet. It was an episode that came out about a week ago. James, one of my guest hosts, and I sat down and generated a character for him, and we did it as a kind of an actual play. So yeah, Traveler is in the air. You said that you love the Traveler character generation method because it gives you that built-in backstory, that character history, and I, I agree uh, 100 million, 80%. And in fact, one of the episodes I have scheduled to do at some point in the future is just like James and I sat down and generated a traveler character for him. We have planned to sit down and generate a D&D &D character, OD&D, &D, using some rules I developed that mirror the traveler rules, but for OD&D. &D. So spoiler, that's coming up some time in the history. Uh, I mean, sometime in the history, neat, I have a time machine. That's coming up sometime in the future. You also mentioned, you know, when you're doing your own campaign, you know, if you're not using the third Imperium, I don't. Um, Daniel, I know, doesn't, isn't a fan as either. Um, yeah, so you say the services that you use. I actually have a service called the Imperial Stewardship Service, which is kind of like our wildlife rangers of today are, you know, Parks and Natural Resources Service. And if you've listened to the James Character Generation episode, you'll see that what he rolled, the tables we used in Supplement 4 were the tables for pirates. But what his history really says he that he was, was a repo man. Yeah, there you go. Finally, you mentioned Battlestar Galactica. I knew that because I listened to your show. So I knew that you were doing uh, Battlestars type stuff with Traveler. I am a huge, huge Battlestar fan. I was going to say more so the 1980s series than the newer one, but it's not a 
a slam dunk there. There's actually bits and pieces I like better from each of the other. I was sad that the Ships of Light never showed up or Count Ibley in the newer ones. Uh, I hated, absolutely hated, positively hated the way that they ended the show. I disliked the fact that Ronald D. Moore really had no idea what was going to happen. So anytime you're watching, you know, I'm one of those people, you watch a show and, oh, they said this, these are some clues. It could mean this, it could mean that. In reality, it didn't mean anything because he didn't have anything that it could mean. So it couldn't be foreshadowing anything. It couldn't be a hint because he didn't know what it was going to be hinting about. Eh. On the original, I there's a lot to like. Uh, Dirk Benedict, you can never go wrong there. You know, losing <laughs> losing the Daggett probably wasn't much of a loss. I'm okay with that. Yeah, anyway, this isn't going to become the Babylon, uh, the Battlestar show. Other than to say, if you listen, I don't know, the episode number, probably a couple months ago, I did an episode called Where Do You Begin? Uh, or Where Do I Begin? The theme of the episode is Where Do You Begin an Adventure? Battlestar is actually the impetus of that question because I love the Battlestar storyline so much that I use it all the time. A lot of time I recast in fantasy. Sometimes I keep it in space, but I never use like the 12 colonies and everything. I use my own universes or like I said, if it's in fantasy, it's just on a fantasy world and it's demonic invasions or barbarian races instead of Cylons. And it all works equally well. But anyway, big Battlestar fan here. Thanks for the call. I better move on. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> Thanks again. Hey guys, Jason here. Really enjoyed the Traveler Character Generation episode. You know, it was looking kind of dim there in the beginning. Of, you know, not making it into Hunter, not making it into Barbarian. But it turned out to be a darn good character. And that's why you always want to follow these things through to the end. So great job. Thanks for putting it up. I can't wait to see what happens next on the show. Take care. Hey, Jason. Thanks for that call. Yeah, it is a darn good character. I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Other than we still have that gaping hole of nobody with wilderness survival skill. But hey, that's okay. And really, I'm thinking that there might be room for one more player. I think four is a very good size for a, a group when we play online. And maybe that character will. If nothing else, I am thinking about, you know, stealing a little bit from the later editions, you know, Mega Traveler and otherwise uh, blah, 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 uh, T4, you know, I'm not going to sell the editions of Traveler, where your background world gives you some skills. And in that case, because we established that James is from a low tech world, he would be entitled to a background skill of Wilderness Survival Zero. So, yeah, I might do that. Uh, thanks for enjoying the episode. It did go a little long, but you know, it was fun. It was something we had to do anyway. So it was just a matter of turning on the mics. You know, I, I've been toying with the idea of when we actually meet to play the actual game of doing it with the mics on. I just don't know if anybody really wants to hear a role-playing session. If I do it, I'm going to do a massive edit down. It's not going to be a let's turn on the mic for two or three hours and just whatever comes out is what I put up. I'm going to edit it down. Like I said, the one actual play I ever really liked was called The Delvers, which was a father and his wife and their two daughters. It was a wonderful actual play. I can't pull up the link anymore because last time I looked, 
it was offline now even, which is sad. But, you know, life goes on. But yeah, it was great. But one of the things that made it great was he just took the edit hatchet to that thing and whacked each episode down to like 20, 30 minutes. And pretty much it was just the action and no other talk. It was a great, great series. Anyway, thanks for that call, Jason. Hey guys, Daniel from Made It. Keep calling in. I'm behind because I see you've already done a call-in show about what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> so I haven't listened to it. And uh, space combat. So I think you bring some really good points. I'll just point out that, because again, I'm not a master of traveler. It sounds like it does a similar thing, but um, Coriolis, uh, the game Coriolis, I think, has the absolute best space combat. Every single person in the crew has what you might call a secondary task, as you say, as you guys are talking about, which holds true, by the way, in the Army, too. You know, it was in Signal, but they always say everybody's never driven. So basically, you, uh, everybody at each round, each person's job is a role, and it adds up to the final, you know, maneuver. Like, there's a captain, and the command role makes a difference, then the pilot gets to make a pilot role, the sensor operator, which you guys didn't really mention, so maybe they don't have that traveler. That would be, like, blocking uh, enemies and stuff or sending viruses. Then you have somebody who can do ship repairs and also computer repairs. So there's lots of things you can do. And what Coriolis does, as far as the thing you mentioned, is you do a, you, you do have individual guns, but you can also buy AIs for the ship. And the AI is not usually that good compared to, like, a player character, obviously, but you could have, like, one of your characters shooting the main gun, and then the AI shoots the other guns, you know, not quite as effectively. And for that, I usually just have the gunner roll at the same time. It's not like that long to take an extra roll. As far as the medical person not doing anything, then I think that's totally fine that somebody doesn't do something if the ship is big enough. But I think if you're talking Firefly, everybody should be doing something. It could be any number of things, running back and forth, uh, you know, putting on fires, <laughs> whatever it might be. And again, Coriolis has rules for that. So if Traveler doesn't and you want to like kind of look at a system that does, then uh, check out Coriolis. It's a really cool system. Anyways, I will get back and listen to your last thing, which sounds like you're talking about uh, anime from the 80s or maybe 70s, which I vaguely remember as a child, so I'm very interested. Hey, Daniel, thank you for that. Uh, Coriolis, I've never even heard of it. So I have written that down. I'm going to try to remember to look that up when I'm done recording. Um, about 50-50 shot that I'll remember there, though. Um, yeah. Sensors, you are right that Traveler does not have like a sensor operator thing. When I played GURP Space, that was always a position. I had uh, sensors versus ECM and stealth suites and stuff like that. In the episode that you listened to, my notes originally called for another type of campaign called Run Silent, Run Deep. And it was all about that. I think I might have even mentioned that there. The other thing you said, well, actually, when you're describing the Coriolis combat system, it sounds like it's very cascady, that everyone does all these roles and it comes down to one final role at the end. Because he made that role, you get a plus two. And because he made that role, you get another plus two. Oh, she missed that role. You don't get whatever. I've done systems like that in the past. I'm not a big fan, but I'm still going to check it out because I could be wrong that that's what it is. The other thing you said is each gun has its own gunner. And if you don't, you can use the AI. What I briefly did in Traveler was I did kind of the same thing, except I had them actually be robots, had them actually be droids. And it dawned on me that be it a droid or be it 
in AI, either way, you are breaking the uh, Asimov laws of robotics from iRobot and all that. And so for that reason, I am opposed to that. However, I will say that by allowing that, you have the setup for Traveler, the new era. And you certainly are not a big Traveler. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You said you're not a big Traveler expert. There we go. So I don't know if you're familiar with the new era. The new era is the only <laughs> version of Traveler where I like the campaign world that in the 1977 rules because, you know, they don't have a campaign, which is the way I feel it should be. Anyway, in Traveler, the new era, well, okay, so let's go in the beginning. Traveler 1977, there really is no background, but as the supplements come out and everything and we move into Traveler 1981, we get the idea of the third Imperium and the Zodani and the alien races of the Aslan. Uh, the Vagar and all those things, the the Dryome, Dryome. I was never sure how to pronounce that. Um, and you know the precursors, which we later find out, hey, they were the the Dryome. Anyway, in Mega Traveler, they have a civil war, right? The Empire is collapsing in on itself. There's a civil war inside the Empire. In Traveler: The New Era, they said that. The Civil War led to one of the sides releasing this AI virus that took over everything and caused all the technology in the entire Imperium to turn against the humans and try to kill them, which left the, the Imperium shattered. And in the new era, you're in one of several possible factions uh, trying to rebuild it or trying to avoid it being rebuilt, whatever. What GURPS Traveler did, a side note, is that they just did a retcon and said, nope, that whole assassination of em Emperor Stefan, who that led to the Civil War, never happened. So yeah, they just retconned that all the way. But yeah, the New Era, I, I love the New Era because, again, I felt like it could be my, my world again instead of GDWs. And... AI gunners would definitely let that happen rather nicely. Um, it also gives you a situation much like the Cylons for Battlestar Galactica. Just to tie it in with the last call. Okay, now I'm going to have to apologize to you, Daniel, because you sent me two messages on this topic. Actually, you sent three, but I haven't played the third one yet. I was going, you know, I was, I was downloading stuff. And then usually my workflow is that I download it and then I record the episode. And then next week when I go to download the new episodes, I look at everything I've already done and then I delete those and I download the new ones. But that always creates this mental thing I have where I have to go, oh, did I play this one on the show? Did I play that one on the show? Or is it only familiar because I listened to it when it came in? So today I said, all right, I'm just going to download, delete, download, delete, download, delete. And then I'm not going to have this problem next week. And those steps got reversed for your second message. So it got deleted before it got downloaded. And you know what? That doesn't work very well at all. And on Google Voice, there is no trash can or anything. So once it was deleted, it's gone forever. 
So I'm going to go from no notes or anything and from what I remember. And I think you said that you agreed with James. Now, that's just a coincidence. It did not get deleted because you said you agreed with James. But I think you said that you agreed with James that four or five fighters would not be enough for a mini carrier for a campaign, that you felt that there would need to be more. And maybe it's the word fighter that has you hung up. Maybe if I just said ships and they were very AI ships, would that help? I, I don't know. Or maybe you just don't like it, which is fine. You know, some people don't like it. And I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know. Do I like the idea? I don't know. I've never tried it. It was an idea that came to me. I think if you did it using big eyes, small mouth, where everybody gets to create their own ship, their fighter in quotation marks. So everyone's not exactly a carbon copy of the other. I, I think it could be interesting. I, I would have to try it before I knew for sure, though. Anyway, uh, thanks for the call and for the other call that got deleted. And I'm so sorry that that got deleted. Thanks again. Hey, Daniel, again, I forgot to say something. Uh, hopefully I don't lose you. I'm driving to the mountain. So they rebooted Voltron. And would they actually put something in there where the people that flew the, they're like lion spaceships, didn't know how to join together to become the giant uh, robot, right? So they made that part. They actually addressed the thing you're talking about, where why don't you just turn into it all the time? Because they couldn't really do it well, and if they screwed it up, it, like, knocked some of them out of the combat. So they often felt like it was better to just not even try unless they were absolutely going to die otherwise. So that, <laughs> they actually addressed that in the reboot, which is kind of funny. I only saw a couple episodes, so I don't know where it went, but... Uh, there you go. So, yes, you weren't the only one that was like, why don't they just do that from the beginning? Hey, Daniel. Thanks for that other call. <laughs> Glad I didn't delete that one. Except I have, I don't have much to say about that. Like I said, I've never watched Voltron. I never watched Mech Warrior. Ne nothing that deals with Mecha other than the closest I've ever come to Mecha was Battle of the Planet slash G-Force slash Science Ninja Team Gachiman. That was enough to turn me off the genre, which is probably unfair, but you know, it was at a formative point in my life. So there you go. But yeah, thanks for that input. I really don't have anything else to add. Oh, other than you said you were going through the mountains. What what mountains were those? I thought I had an idea where you lived from things that you said on the show before, but I can't think of any mountains that are near there. So I'm I'm intrigued. Anyway, you don't have to tell me. I'm just being nosy. I like mountains. I like mountains a lot. There are none where I live. Anyway, uh, thanks again for the call. Hey, Joe. This is Jason here. Mushmouth strikes again. I'm not sure why the other call was muddled, but my vocals were definitely muddled because I wasn't saying Black Moor Manor. I was saying Chill Black Morn, M-O-R-N Manor by Paysetter. And what this is is a tile-laying game where you, you lay out the tiles, just like in Betrayal at the House on the Hill, and the players take on the role of envoys, and, and their job is to discover the master's identity and find the item which he is vulnerable and then destroy him. But one of the players is the minion who's trying to find that item and get it off the grounds of the manor. So we see the genesis, and, and there's different scenarios, different masters and items that can be the important item. So you can see kind of the genesis of what became Betrayal on the house, at the House on the Hill. But Chill is a, a simpler version of it with 
kind of one scenario with some changeable parts. But it, it's an interesting, like I say, it's the earliest version of that game that, that I'm aware of. And it, it's kind of a neat game. I'll have to try to post uh, some pictures in the play forums if I can figure out how to do that so you can see what it looks like. There's a really good interview with Dave McGarry done by his daughter about the dungeon board game. So I will also link that in the play forums so you can check that out. And I forget how long these calls can go, but I think this one might be running out. So I'll call you right back. Hey, Jason, thanks for that call. So before you call back, I'm going to give you my thoughts. So <laughs> McGarry is what you said, right? McGarry, David McGarry. All right. I think I got it now. I did not see either of those links, that link nor the picture in the play forum. So I don't know if you didn't get around to it or if I just missed it. You know, I've been having a traveler question I've been meaning to ask in there, but it's just so involved that every time I sit down and do it, you know, because I want to quote from the books and stuff, I, I get sidetracked and I end up walking away. So I think I'm going to ask it at the end of this episode and then I will probably post it in the forums. And as for Mushmouth, you know, it might not be your mouth. It might be my ears. Um, I do not have the best ears in the universe. I had uh, hearing loss as a child. I had some ear surgery in school. When I joined the Air Force, they did extra hearing tests on me, and I had to get a waiver to join. So, oh, and I, <laughs> we're going to get personal here, folks. Um you know, I had years of speech therapy and every time I edit this episode and I hear my own voice, especially, you know, during edit, you listen a lot closer because you're like, okay, where do I need to cut and all that stuff. I just hear all those years of speech therapy. And I'm like, oh man, my voice still sucks. And I'm, I'm very, very self-conscious about it. And um, it has once or twice I've come close to just stopping podcasting because of it, but uh, I press on because I enjoy the community and I love role-playing games. I love talking about them. I love people calling me and talking about them. So I persevere. No one else has complained. Maybe you're all being too nice about it, but that's okay. I appreciate that. No need to get honest. Um, anyway, so yeah, it might've been my ears, not your mouth and black mourn. Um, yeah, I look forward to, uh, seeing more about it. Thanks. And let's listen to, uh, your other call. Jason again. So dungeon definitely is a role-playing light game. I really like the dungeon board games that I had that very early on in my gaming career and really enjoyed playing it. And I played the heck out of it solo. The other game that's like that, that I also got fairly early on was by Iron Crown Enterprises and it's called the Lonely Mountain, and yes, it's based on The Hobbit, and The Lonely Mountain works a lot like the dungeon board game, except each player has a group of adventurers, and there's like a group of dwarves and a group of bandits, and so you have different groups, and you're going through trying to get all the treasure from Smog's Mountain before Smog wakes up, and there are other monsters in there that you'll fight, but once Smog wakes up, he will start closing the exits. To the mountain and if you don't get out before he closes all the exits you're done so it's a, a little more advanced version of dungeon and it it's really neat so that's the lonely mountain by iron crown enterprises no doubt long out of print 
but that's the other kind of role play light game that's sort of like dungeon and we talk like betrayal of the house in the hill kind of thing another modern game by fantasy or flying frog games flying frog productions i'm sorry is a touch of evil and a touch of evil set it's basically sleepy hollow the board game the tim burton sleepy hollow which i know isn't your favorite version of sleepy hollow but that that's what the touch of evil is it's basically sleepy hollow the board game and that's a lot of fun as well hey jason thanks for that do you know that as a kid i never had dungeon the board game growing up in fact i didn't have it until earlier this year i only bought it because for a while my younger daughter sammy she was coming over like every week every other week and we were having game night here she still comes over but we just we don't have the game night anymore so uh, I actually, I still haven't gotten to play Dungeon since I bought it this year. As a kid, I did play it a few times because my mom's best friend, you know, friends of the family, she had a son a couple years younger than me. So I engineered that we should get him that for birthday gift or Christmas gift or whatever. So I got to play that with him. But when I was with my friends, we would just play D&D instead of playing Dungeons. But that's the only time I have ever played uh, Dungeon. The lucky, oh, sorry, the lonely mountain sounds more complicated. I'm not a fan of complication unless it adds more fun. Does it add more fun? Question mark. A touch of evil. Yeah, they both sound interesting. I will have to look them up. Thank you, sir, so much for that call. Hi, Joe. It's Michael. Also in Chicago is. You are having a great day. I'm catching up on your episodes and I'm listening to your feedback. We're talking about swords and spells, the supplement, I believe it would be supplement number five of original Dungeons and Dragons. So I have played swords and spells. Um, I went through a long holy grail search for a mass combat system that I could seamlessly use between uh, role-playing sessions and uh, sessions where we needed to fight large battles. Um, spoiler alert, uh, Swords and Spells wasn't it. It is very tactical. I think the reason it doesn't get a lot of press is because one OD&D mentions Chainmail by name. And so there's a certain cachet, I think, with uh, doing the uh, you know, doing the thing that came before and doing the thing that's named. My take on Swords and Spells, it's a perfectly serviceable and can be fun um, uh, miniatures game. It, if you've played the AD&D battle system, you're going to feel some consonant themes there of how it handles certain things. Um, you know, it, it wasn't meant to replace Chainmail as a game system itself, because Chainmail can be expanded to not only just Dungeons & Dragons, but also historical, which is how Chainmail got started as a historical war game, whereas Swords and Spells is very definitely all about uh, mass combat in a D&D uh, type setting. Um, anyway, it's a good game. It's a fun game. It's something, you know, if you sit down and play, you won't regret it, but it's also, yes, it is very wargamey. Uh, it is very much about the, um, you know, the turns and the movements and uh, the different types of troops and uh, whittling away at your enemy and that sort of thing. So give it a shot. It's certainly worth it, at least if you want to have the experience and you've got the PDF. 
Um, and I'd be interested in hearing your experiences with it. Okay, that's it for now. Take care. Game on. Hey, Michael, a.k.a. Chicago Wiz. Thanks for that call. When I'm recording, I say a lot of things, and a lot of times I cut them out in the the name of time or just because they were off topic or whatever. So I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. I remember saying it into the mic. I just don't know if it got onto the show or if I cut it out. But I had made a blog post on my blog, The Vagabond GM, a few months ago, and Michael replied to it. So I sent him an email or was it on the thing anyway? And I said, Oh, Chicago, I used to live in Chicago. And it turns out that like when I say I lived in Chicago, I didn't really live in Chicago. I lived in one of the suburbs, you know, really far away from Chicago. In fact, I was about the same distance as Milwaukee. Yeah. From Milwaukee as I was from Chicago anyway. So I said, yeah, I used to live there. I used to live in this little village, right? So in Illinois, you know, you have the state and the state's broken down to counties and those counties then have cities or towns and the towns will have villages. And so, you know, I said, I lived in this particular village, which I have no problem saying, except that it turns out that that is exactly the same village that Michael slash Chicago Wiz lives in. And I mean, it's not a huge village. So, you know, we talked about exactly where we lived and like as a crow flies, I don't think there's even a mile between my old house and his house. So that was just kind of mind blowing and, you know, small world type stuff. But anyway, thank you very much for that summary of swords and spells. I like to call it the forgotten supplement. Not only do I have the PDF, you know, I think I might actually have a print copy. Uh, I'd have to go through my stack to look. Yeah, I might actually even have it in print. But yeah, it's just one of those things. Of all the stuff you ever hear people talk about and read about on the blogs and hear about on the podcasts and everything, you know, they talk about OD&D, they talk about Greyhawk, they talk about Blackmore, they talk about deities, demigods, and heroes, right? They talk about all the supplements, Eldritch Wizardry, but the world seems to stop at Eldritch Wizardry and everyone like pretends that swords and spells never existed. <laughs> I've always been curious. So like, I, like I said, I have the book, but every time I've I've gone to open it up to look at it, um, yeah, I guess I do have the paper copy somewhere. Anyway, it just I, I don't get more than a couple pages in, and it just turns me off because it's not my style of uh, play. You say it's very tactical; it's for mess battles, and I should give it a shot. And I, I will tell you right now, I'm not going to give it a shot because. I am not a very tactical person. I, When I do mass battles, I do it amazingly abstractly, and I haven't done it in years. But when I did, it was pretty much, you know, tell me your plan. And if I thought it was a good plan, I'd give you a bonus. And if I thought it was a bad plan, I'd give you a penalty. You know, if you took precautions for something and that had to be the case, you know, you get a, a bonus. If I had this plan of something they would do and you didn't have any precautions that sounded like it, you'd get a penalty. Anyway, no, just, and it come down to pretty much a single role that you'd win or lose. And then another percentile role I would do to see how many of your forces you lost. And it was possible to lose many forces and still win or lose, but still preserve most of your forces. You know, 
That reminds me of something, but I'm going to make that a comment for Jason's show. So it does not sound like my type of thing at all. Like I said, mass battles, I'd much rather do abstractly. But, you know, that's me. I know that everybody likes different things. And in this OSR community, I'm very, very much feeling like the minority who likes abstract and who likes more narrative play than tactical play. But, you know, that that's all right. It takes all types. And while I feel like the odd man out, I don't feel ostracized or anything. I think the community as a whole is very welcoming to anybody as long as they play and as long as they're not a jerk face. And I try not to be a jerk face and I've only ever gotten one jerk face feedback from anyone. And that one never even made it to the air because it was that bad that I didn't even think it was playable. So anyway, that's just to say, thanks for that summary of swords and spells. I'd really still love to hear a little series about how it works from a rules point of view to save me from reading the book, but you know, I can't make somebody do that. Thanks again, Chicago is Michael. I uh, look forward to listening to more of your show and I really, really appreciate your call. Thank you. Bye. Okay, everyone that wraps up this week. We had, what was that? Six calls, actually seven. If I didn't lose that one from Daniel, sorry about that again, Daniel. And that's great. I love it. Keep them coming. Uh, I think I already have like three or four stacked up for next week's episode. Although next week, I think will probably be the uh, prize giveaway episode. So I'm not going to harp on the prize again. I just did a little episode that released on Wednesday, not an episode, but you know, a little reminder to get in your your entry. So you have until Monday. This is going out on Friday. So, you know, three days if you listen to this when it drops. Favorite hard sci-fi, you know, and I'm not going to be a stickler for hard sci-fi. If you can justify it, that's okay with me. When I say what mine is, I'm fully expecting someone to say, you know, that's not really hard sci-fi for this reason. I think it is for these reasons. I'll be justifying that. I'll be doing the reveal uh, when we pick the winner with my special secret guest host for that one. I said I was going to ask a traveler a question, so I'm going to ask it here, and maybe that will inspire me to finally post it on the playboards. In Traveler, for my Traveler fans, in the 1981 rules, when you develop an animal encounter, it says, you know, determine their damage up front and say it's 11 points of damage that they do during an attack. That's what they do every attack. You never roll for it again. It's meant to speed up play. Awesome. Great. But... In the combat section, it says that each die of damage you take gets allocated to one of the stats at your choice, other than the first round of combat. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not talking about that. So if the damage is 11, normally that would have been like on three dice or maybe two dice, a five and a six, but probably three. And you've got maybe like a, a three, a four, and a four. Right. And so you say, okay, take the three of my strength, the four of my decks, and the other four of my endurance, or however you wanted to do it. But it's not three dice, it's just 11. So, strictly, rules is written because you take each die of damage off of a given attribute. And because there are no die of damage, I guess an animal encounter does zero damage. If it hits, you don't take any damage. Rules is written, right? That's how it would be. Clearly, that can't be right, right? So what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to like 
take those 11 points and divvy them up any way you want. That would make sense. If you go by the 1977 rules, it says that, you know, you take each die as a separate group of wounds against one um, attribute. And then any remainder you divide any way you want. So then we could say zero die with a remainder of 11. So just divide those any way you want. So maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe the way to do it is to say, well, it was three dice. Are you supposed to remember what they were? I got the feeling that they wrote it without playing it or they weren't playing by the rules as written. And the reason I say that is because when you get to Mega Traveler, the rules for damage are different and you don't take them off the attributes like that. And I wonder if they were already playing with that and they just didn't put it into the rules in 1981. So I'm asking you, Traveler Heads, how do you handle that situation? So like I said, my thoughts are just let them divvy up any way they want. You could say that all 11 is treated as one die. It has to come off one stat. That makes animals more deadly than a shotgun, by the way, if you do it that way. The third way not to do that whole 11 thing anyway, just to say, okay, it is a thrasher that does 2D of damage. They get another 1D for their size. So you just roll the 3D for damage every turn. So that's another way I could see handling it. I don't know. What do you do? Let me know. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Do send us some feedback. Feedback at decahedron.com. You can call the feedback line. All the information is in the show notes. It's in the outro music. This episode has gone long. www.decahedron.com. It's there. And of course, don't forget about the play forums. www.decahedron.com slash boards. That's it. I'm wrapping up. Until next week. Happy gaming. Happy life. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Decahedron RPG cast. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message by calling 562-774-2278. That's 562-RPG-CAST. Or by visiting sayhi.chat slash Decahedron. You can also email us at feedback at Decahedron.com. Links are in the show notes. For more information, visit Decahedron.com. Remember that Decahedron is spelled with a K. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Logo is by Design Cat. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep those dice rolling.